Exciting announcement! Join me at the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival. Hey everyone, I have some incredible news to share with all of you. I am absolutely thrilled to announce that I will be attending the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival this year. The festival is an amazing gathering of passionate podcasters, enthusiasts, and experts who are all dedicated to exploring the fascinating realms of true crime and the paranormal. But it's not just about spooky stories and thrilling mysteries. It's about something much more important. The festival focuses on advocacy and ethics in true crime and paranormal podcasting. It's a platform where we can come together, share knowledge, and discuss the responsible and respectful ways to approach these sensitive subjects. I can't express how excited I am to be a part of this event. I'll have the opportunity to meet fellow podcasters, engage in thought-provoking discussions, and learn from some of the most brilliant minds in the industry. It's an experience you won't want to miss. And guess what? I have an exclusive offer for all of you amazing followers and listeners. Use my special coupon code, LANY, during registration at truecrimepodcastfestival.com and you'll receive a fantastic 15% discount on your tickets. So mark your calendars, gather your fellow true crime advocates and paranormal enthusiasts, and join me at the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival. Let's celebrate our shared love for these intriguing genres while embracing the importance of ethics and advocacy within the podcasting community. I can't wait to see you all there. Don't forget to use my coupon code LANY for that awesome discount, and I'll see you soon. Welcome back to It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. As we turn the corner into spring, it feels like winter chill is still trying to keep its icy grip on everything. While that might not sound appealing, I think it's got some legs, or hands to be more specific. If we're going to be feeling the chill for a little bit longer in certain parts of the world, why not use those chills to our advantage and take up with a few spooky stories? There's a mixed bag here today that I think you're all going to enjoy. From haunted dreams to haunted forest, there's a lot to unpack here, and I can't wait to share it with you all. So, ready to get spooked? Our first spooky tale comes from Tarantina Turner. I love that name. It started with three knocks. For some background, I moved in with my ex-boyfriend at his parents' house when we were 17. I'd known him since kindergarten and was aware of his night terrors for at least five years. I believe they may have gone on for as long as they lived in the house, though I'm not sure how old he was when they moved in. I didn't know much about night terrors at that time and didn't know anyone else who had them. He didn't want to talk a lot about them, so I never pressed. When I noticed him having a night terror, I just saw how he would breathe heavily for anywhere from a few seconds to a few minutes and wake up in a bad mood. 
I would best describe the mood as withdrawn and irritable and would take a few minutes to level out in order to be approachable. The night terrors caused him to have severe insomnia and he would only sleep for very few hours over the course of several days. I had been living with him for a few months and never had any feelings of unease, which is very odd since I'm unusually sensitive to energy shifts due to previous experiences. Some days, I would wake up and go into the kitchen to see open cabinets or drawers that had previously been closed. I thought nothing of this and figured someone left them open after a midnight snack. One morning, however, I jokingly mentioned to his mom how someone kept forgetting to close the cabinets. Yeah, she replied, that's just the shadow people. As if it was something she just casually forgot to mention. They do that all the time, she added, going on to tell me that she and her husband had both seen them in different areas of the house on multiple occasions. Since I hadn't experienced anything there myself, however, I just laughed it off. At this time, our bed was against the inside wall of the house, beside the door from the hallway. My ex liked to play a joke on me when I would leave the room, where he would reach over to hold the door handle so it wouldn't turn when I would try to get in. Harmless fun, no big deal, and we both thought it was funny. One bright weekend, I thought it would be good to do some spring cleaning and rearrange the bedroom furniture. I opened the windows to let in some cool breeze, cleaned the carpet, pushed the bed against the outside wall next to a window, and pulled the TV stand to the foot of the bed. After my ex came home, we ate together and took turns having showers. When I went to open the door to the bedroom, the handle didn't turn. I chuckled since I was used to him playing that game. Only this time, when I went to turn the handle again, it still didn't budge. I thought my ex was probably wanting to carry the joke on a little more than usual, so I tried twisting the handle back and forth multiple times. It stayed stationary. When the latch finally released, I pushed the door open with such force that I stumbled into the room, only to see my ex playing Xbox with his headset on, sitting 15 feet away from the door and wondering why it looked like I just fell in the room. That was the first time I felt like something could be in the house. It was the following fall when the knocks first started. We'd been having some strong winds accompanied with cold rain. It was late in the evening. The rain had knocked the satellite out, so we got out some DVDs and put on a movie. The wind was aggressive, sending shrub branches and tree leaves scratching loudly against the windows as we watched the movie. Then, three faint knocks came from the wall to the right of the bed. This was an exterior wall at the front of the house, so we decided that the knocking was from the wind. Some minutes passed when we heard three more knocks coming from the wall next to the closet an interior wall with a large shared dresser along it. We decided to recreate the sound by knocking on the wall behind us, just to confirm the noise we heard. Less than a minute later, three clear knocks came from the wall directly behind us. We knocked three times back and then the knocks started coming from what seemed like all the walls around us at the same time. They were much faster and louder this time and seemed to have no pattern as to where they were coming from. And then, just as fast as they came, it all stopped at once. We told my ex's parents who came into the room and knocked on the walls themselves, only to get the response echoed back to them. Back to the night terrors. Since I'd figured out when my ex was having an episode, I would try to calmly soothe him with a soft voice, telling him that it was okay and that I was there with him. 
He told me that it helped and began to open up to me a little more about his terrors. He told me that what he saw during his episodes had started to change. Lately, there was an episode that had started to occur regularly. He wouldn't describe what the thing he saw looked like, just that it got closer to him every night, and he was afraid of what would happen if it ever got close enough to touch him. He woke up once and told me that it laid down next to him and he was completely distraught because it was the closest it had ever been. He told me, it can't touch me when you're around. It's afraid of you. I didn't know what to say to that. Besides, good, it should be. That's when I began to notice movement. It started with dresser drawers being open in the mornings or after we left the room. I thought maybe the drawer slides were just wearing out from use and were just naturally popping back open. And yet, it was almost always a different drawer. If I had noticed three drawers open in the morning, I would just close them and go on about my day. But then different ones than before would be open when I came back. Sometimes they were slightly cracked open and other times they were pulled all the way to the end. Then one time when my ex was napping, the drawers started to open. I noticed my ex's heavy breathing and panicked REM state. So I tried soothing him with my voice, which seemed to calm him down. Just then I noticed an empty pop can by the TV stand. It had started to rock on its own, slowly from side to side. It started to pick up speed, moving so fast that it seemed like it was vibrating. As the can was getting worse, and so was my ex's breathing, so I looked over at the can and screamed at it in my mind for it to stop. And immediately, it did. At the same time, my ex's breathing immediately evened out and calmed down. That night, I saw the entity. Not sure if I was asleep or awake, I saw it standing in the doorway. It was taller than the frame with a shadowy body and a face wider than anything I've ever seen before. No discernible facial features, it was just as if the whiteness was a bright light being pulled into it or through it, almost like a tunnel. It seemed like I could feel it better than I could see it. And it felt like rage. It felt like anger and sadness, stronger than I've ever felt in my life. Before I could make sense of what was happening, I found myself standing up, pointing at the creature and yelling at the top of my lungs for it to leave this house. I don't remember anything after that. I slept a peaceful sleep the rest of the night. When I woke up, my ex was sitting up and watching TV. I looked at him and asked what the thing looked like from his sleep paralysis. He told me he didn't want to talk about it, but that it would be easier to draw it. He got a notebook and drew exactly what I had seen in my dreams the night before. It was so accurate to the point that I immediately got chills and started crying when he showed it to me. He asked me if I'd seen it, and I told him what happened. After that, neither of us have seen it since, until he came home from the military. Okay, well, wait a second. You can't just leave us on a cliffhanger like that. I know you said you aren't with this partner anymore, but surely there's more to this story than you're giving us. What happened after he came home from the military? Did he experience anything else while he was away? And have you talked about this since? Inquiring minds need to know. We need a chapter two. Also, my daughter, she's two years old, so shout out happy birthday, Tilden. She turned two in May, and she has had night terrors, or what I equate to being night terrors, since she was maybe one years old or so. She gets up and, like, shoots straight up and is like, no, go away. It's weird, 
but I sage every time she does it. So I'm always like, um, every time I sage, I do like an incantation, if you will, or a prayer of protection where I don't allow, you know, negative energy. And so I think maybe it's just her brain. I have no idea. Yeah, they weird me out. (laughs) Not gonna lie. Anywho, so our next story today comes from My Darling Darkness, and they bring us the story of someone who wasn't upstairs. And so this is the story of the upstairs boogeyman. When my husband and I first got married, we moved into an old house he inherited. The home was originally built in the early 1920s and definitely had visible age and history. Granted, my husband had been working on remodeling the house and had made a decent amount of progress by the time we moved in. The renovation needs were not what plagued me the most about this house. I never really liked the feeling the house gave me, but I chalked it up to me knowing how old the house was and knowing a couple members of my husband's family had passed away inside. I'll skip all the cliche experiences, you know, feelings of being watched, feeling not alone when you were alone, and all that stuff, and get into the one experience that even had my husband baffled. He and I had settled into bed, said our goodnights, and we were well on our way to falling asleep when we heard movement upstairs. At first, I didn't move or say anything. I thought I had imagined it, until the sound of footsteps above us got louder. My husband sat straight up saying, You hear that too, right? I was pretty much shaking and mumbled, Of course, as it sounded like the footsteps were running across the upper floor. My husband hopped out of bed and ran to the door and up the stairs. A few minutes later, my husband came back down the stairs into our bedroom and shut the door. At first, he didn't answer when I asked what it was. After prying at him again, he simply said, I'm sure it's just my great-grandmother checking in on us. She was one of the family members who had passed away in the house, but I was not convinced. This didn't feel like a friendly family ghost just visiting. It felt plain malicious to me. After that night, I started often hearing the sounds of movement upstairs when no one was up there. Then the distinctive squeaking noise our stairs made when someone was walking on them started happening when I was alone downstairs. I can still feel the chills all over me remembering how I'd hear this right behind me while sitting on the couch in the downstairs living room. At the time, my friend had the bright idea to buy me a Ouija board to use in the house. After telling her some of what I was experiencing, she was dying, no pun intended, to try and see if anything would make contact. I flat out refused, but did keep the board, since she kept insisting I may at some point want to try it. I took the board, still in its box, and placed it on a shelf at the top of a small linen closet we had. I shut the closet door with every intention of forgetting the board was even there. However, after this, strangely, that closet door never stayed shut. I would find it half-opened almost every time I walked by it. I started thinking I wasn't actually shutting it completely and made it a point to make sure I heard the door latch and would even pull on the doorknob to be sure it would not open. Yet, sometime later, I'd go to get a towel and find the door half open again. And this happened when I knew I was completely alone in the house. Just before we finally moved out, I experienced one of the most terrifying moments of my life in this house. 
My husband was working a double shift at his job, and it was dark by the time I made it back home that evening. After getting home, I went to straighten up the house. As I was picking things up, I reached down and nearly grabbed a massive black spider. I recoiled in horror before realizing it was the fake plastic spider my nephew had been playing with earlier in the day. I was half relieved and half annoyed as I was always on edge anytime I was alone in the house and grabbed the creepy toy and flung it hard up the stairs. There was a bedroom up there where I kept toys for my nephew when he visited, a room that he was terrified to sleep in, but something that I'd brush off as kid stuff at the time. I planned to go up there later to pick it up and pack it away in his toy box. As I turned away from the steps to go back to cleaning the downstairs, I heard a whooshing through the air and then heard something slam against the wall at the bottom of the steps. I jumped to see what in the world that was and felt my blood run ice cold. There on the floor at the bottom of the steps lay that stupid toy spider. It was as if someone or something had thrown it back down the stairs hard. I left that house. I left with my keys and phone and called my husband to tell him I was going to my parents' house until he got home. As previously mentioned, we moved shortly after this experience and I was never alone in that house after dark again. That house has sat vacant ever since we left. My husband still insists it was his prankster grandmother, but I still refer to it as the upstairs boogeyman. This story brings to mind, oh my gosh, ooh, thinking about the feeling I got during this time freaks me out. Okay, so when I used to babysit and I'd be alone in the house with silent, staring children's toys, my kids all had dolls and it was really annoying because you guys know how much I hate dolls. But it would be so quiet and my mind would start to wander. I'd wonder, like, is somebody out in the bushes? Is there a ghost? Am I going to hear this? Like, is a kid asleep? Is this a kid sleeping, you know, so soundly and sweetly in this super haunted house. I mean, I thought everything because that's just what my brain did. It just hated me so much when I was alone in a house I didn't know very well. But it made me think of the urban legend, you know, where the call is coming from inside the house. Like, have you checked the children? Except in your case, it really was coming from the house. And yep, I would have left just as fast as you did. So good call on that. And I'm not surprised that it is still vacant. I wonder if it's one of those like Hill House things, you know, where the house just is like kicking people out, hopefully not by murdering them like Hill House did. So our next story comes from Confident North 0888, who tells the story of a spectral visitor they had at work one night. When I was 19, I worked at a local pizza parlor called Ciro's. I was the one up front at the register and serving drinks. After closing, two people would be in the back cleaning and closing up, and I would be up front cleaning the lobby. One night, I was sweeping the floors, and I simply turned toward the register, where an open area was behind a counter that led to the kitchen of the restaurant. 
I saw a translucent person standing there in jean shorts and a red zero shirt, our standard uniform. I thought to myself, weird, what the heck? For the briefest moment, I looked away toward the window. When I looked back, it was gone. I did not feel any malevolence from the presence, but rather a peaceful, confused, and sad feeling. He looked surprised to see me. I stood still there for a short time in shock and awe, trying to understand what I had just seen and felt. I didn't recognize him at the time, but I'm usually very good with faces, and I tend to remember a face better than a name. I had seen his features very clearly. I then walked to the back and asked my supervisor bluntly, did anyone who work here die? He looked me dead in my eyes, perplexed and replied, yes, his name was Andre. Why do you ask? I could tell he was caught off guard. I gestured with my thumb behind me and replied, because I just saw him. When the boss said his name, the memory of his passing came flooding back and I made the connection. I remembered him and that a few of my friends had known him. My boss and I stood silent for a moment. After that, neither of us ever spoke of it again. About 10 years later, I was hanging out with one of my best friends. She started to talk about ghost stories and I offered mine. She paled when I finished. I knew him, she said. We were close in high school. She knew that he'd worked at Ciro's at the time of his death and that he'd apparently visited the dreams of a lot of his close friends after he'd passed. I never met him alive, but at the time of his death, I saw my friends in mourning and they showed me pictures and his obituary paper from the memorial service. I'd never known he worked at Ciro's before this. His death was tragic and mysterious, but it was ruled an accident. He played the choking game and died at a park tied to a tree. A jogger found him in the morning. His closest friend speculated that he was murdered. My friend agreed that she'd always thought he was murdered, but that the police didn't take it seriously. Although the thought of a ghostly person scared me a little, I felt no discernible residual energy or presence. His presence was kind and peaceful. I still don't know how to feel about it, but I never saw him again. This is such a sweet and tragic story. And I'm really sorry that this loss happened to you and your friends and other people who obviously love this person very much. And it sounds like this young man is still lingering around, maybe hoping to see some of his old friends again or is confused, right? Because if we did something, not thinking of the consequences or the potential harm that could come to you for doing a prank like that, you can be very confused. And I like the sweet detail that he visits the dreams of those he was closest to. My brother does the same. And I really appreciate that, and I think it means a lot. So that at least can be a small type of comfort when tragedy like this strikes. Now it's time for our final story. And our final story for today comes from Christian Holbrook, who tells us the story of a haunted area that they never want to return to again. Sounds a lot like me. And just a listener note, and if Christian's listening out there, and in case Christian's listening out there, they asked us not to edit their story and we typically don't we just edit for readability and grammar etc so we did do that here just to ensure that as we are sharing this spooky tale with our listeners that it's comprehensible so hopefully you don't mind and let's tuck in for christian story 
Drevo Park is one of the many parks along the Great Miami River in our area. It used to be my favorite place because we could walk our rescue pit bull there and it was a city park, so we were permitted to use the boat and kayak ramps. I'd like to list the reasons why I will never go back, nor will I ever pull my kayak out of that ramp again. One, we took our dog for a walk in the baseball field. He was being reintroduced to new situations, people, smells, etc. since he'd been in a prior stressful environment that caused him to bite when he got scared. At the time, everything scared him, so limited people were best. We walked the entire tree line down to the water and then back to my car along the same tree line. Whenever I got out of my car, I always attached my keys to my belt. And when we got there, no keys on my belt. It was starting to get dark, so my husband immediately walked the tree line at least three times to look for my keys. I was sitting on the ground waiting for him with our dog, right in front of our car. My husband couldn't find the keys, so I was starting to make plans for someone to come pick us up. My husband walked over to the driver's side of the car, opened the door, and I could see the look of confusion on his face. He let the dog in the car, and then he pulled the key out of the lock and handed it to me. It was just the singular car key, my keychain, and all my other keys were gone. As he handed me the key, everything inside of me started screaming, Leave. However, I stood frozen for a few seconds, and it felt like something tall was standing behind me. I got cold chills all over, before I heard a soft whisper in my ear. Leave. I turned to see if someone was behind me, but there wasn't anyone there. I turned to see if someone was behind me, but there wasn't. My gut knew that. During this whole 30 seconds from the time my husband found the key to us both jumping in my car, my dog was barking and growling in the back seat. Needless to say, we got out of there fast. 2. Last March, Cincinnati had record rainfall. We decided to take my daughter to Dravo Park an hour before dusk. We could see that the water by the river had risen significantly and decided to explore the top of the hill since the water had taken the brush out from the entire area. As we walked, we could see the path that the rushing water had taken through the mud. We walked for 20 minutes or so and I noticed the sun was going down. My husband and daughter were in front of me and I mentioned to them that we needed to turn back before it got dark. Pivoting to turn in the other direction, I froze, gasping. There stood a man less than 10 feet away from me. He was old wrinkled and wearing strange blue clothes. He was skinny and looked frail with his hair sticking out all over despite his hat. He didn't move, just stood there staring at me with his hands to his sides. A couple seconds slowly crept by and I heard my daughter suddenly calling for me. I turned to see what was wrong and when I turned back, the man was gone. Apparently, my family had been calling for me for the better part of a minute and I hadn't heard them. What I thought was 10 seconds was apparently a lot longer. Freaked out, I started heading with my family back to the car, getting there just as the sky lost its last bit of light. And guess what? No keys. Again. That's when I really started to get freaked out. There were no lights in this park at all and the temperature was dropping. There was no way we could turn around and go back in the woods to look for the keys. The car was locked and yes, we checked the door. I called my older daughter and got us a ride out of that place. 
The next day, my husband took his bike and went back to look for the keys. He said he walked the whole area where we were and didn't see it. But as he walked back up to the boat dock at the top of the hill where the concrete meets the grass, there was my key. He was stuck in the ground, standing straight up in an area I'd never walked in. I vowed to never return and should have kept it that way, but I didn't. Two weeks ago, we were teaching my youngest to drive out on the back roads because those are less traveled. She was pretty nervous and after about 20 minutes, she wanted to stop. Dravo Park was on the right, so I told her to turn in and park to switch drivers. She started to make the turn into the parking spot when suddenly the car lunged forward towards the woods and the concrete barrier directly in front of us. I screamed at her to hit the brakes and I saw her leg pumping up and down trying to stomp on it to no avail. Suddenly, the car slammed to a stop with only an inch to spare, throwing us all forward. Once the car was in park, my daughter started to cry, explaining that she was braking but that the car wouldn't stop. At first, I didn't believe her, but on the way home, I started to think about all the other creepy things that have happened in Dravo Park. This time, I am determined I will never go back. What do you think, a haunted park? Well, if not a haunted park, then what? It sounds like this area has a lot of mischievous energy attached to it, and I think it's lucky that you and your family were able to get away with only a few relatively harmless encounters, especially that last one, when it involved the car. Now, my niece, when I was teaching her how to drive, almost ran into my apartment building, so, you know breaking, not breaking. She still denies that she was doing that to this day. And I was like, girl, you really were about to hit the side of where my bed is. Anyways, it feels like you've made the right choice not to go back. And I'm not sure that I would either. I would avoid it like the plague, especially after such harrowing experiences. But we're grateful that you were willing to share your story. Well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own personal spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Twitter for now at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance provided by Jesse Hawk who also sells really cool stickers, and I'm going to link their Redbubble account on there because they have some wonderful pride stickers out there, and we are buying the Gator because Tilden, my daughter, loves it. Now, writing assistance provided by Meg Williams, and the official composer and audio smith for the show is Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or wetalkofdreams.com. Until next time. Did you hear that?